Father in heaven, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to guide us as we seek to be more efficient in working and laboring for souls. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as I sometimes do, um, I got very little covered in the first hour, so we're going to move on a little bit here. We were in tip number one, and I was talking about the, the role of the teacher there, the very first 2A on the first page, assume the role of the teacher. The simple point here being, when you're giving studies, you need to teach. It doesn't. Some people are reluctant to do that. They feel like it's putting themselves up on a pedestal. It's not. At least it shouldn't be. To teach the study does not mean that you know everything. Don't pretend to know everything. If there's something that you run across or somebody asks you that you don't know the answer to, don't be ashamed or afraid to say, you know, I don't have the answer to that question. I'll study it out and I'll share it in our next lesson. But having said all that, you're still the one that's supposed to be guiding uh, how things go. And you will run into situations where people want to do this kind of, we're peers and we're going to just, we're going to study and you're going to share some things with me and I'm going to share some things with you. And that's what, not what you're looking for when you're giving Bible studies. You're looking for people that are hungry for truth. And the reality is that there are some people that they like to study out of curiosity or whatever, but they're not hungering and thirsting for truth. And there are others out there that really want to know what's going on in this world. Why do we live in these crazy times? What does Bible prophecy say? And these kind of things, things we have the answers to. Those are the ones when you're giving Bible studies you're really looking for. Not to say you're never going to meet with anybody, study with anybody else. But when I'm talking about giving Bible studies, that's our focus. And we're going to get into that a little more as we go. Uh, incidentally, as I put on uh, the subpoint there, if the person is seeking truth, they're expecting you to teach. They're expecting you to take that lead. Letter B, under tips for giving better Bible studies, believe the message yourself. The subpoint there, somebody gave me a correction during the break. One of the most compelling aspects of giving Bible studies is your own personal conviction. If you are, it should say, not convinced. <laughs> if you are not convinced, no one else will be convinced either. Um, this almost goes without saying, I, and somebody had asked me during the break, you know, what if there's a set of lessons that, and I, there's a, something in the lesson I don't agree with, and an example was brought up of the trumpets of Revelation. Well, the trumpets of Revelation is one of those things that Adventists really haven't been uh, on the same page on for a long time. There are different variations, but I'll tell you this. You're not going to find a study on the trumpets in Revelation in most Bible studies for that reason. But let's just say you did. If I didn't feel, if I didn't feel I could teach it, I just wouldn't. I would go past it and I would teach what I, what I could teach. But part of the reason I'm putting this is if you're finding that in a set of Adventist lessons there's a whole bunch of things you can't teach, you might question what church you're in. I mean, there's, I know some damage is like, well, I just, I'm not sure about this. And I'm not sure. I'm like, how long have you been sitting in the pew? Oh, for the last 15 years. You need to get square on this. I'm going to tell you if I was like, well, I'm just not sure about Ellen White. I'm just not sure about lifestyle. And I'm not, I'm not sure what the Adventists believe about, you know, the Sabbath totally. And if that's how I felt, then I'd be looking for a church that followed the Bible more. Or I'd be analyzing my beliefs. And my point here is when you're giving studies, you're, you're not going to be able to lead something into something you're not convicted on. And that's, that's the point that's being made here. Notice this statement from the book Evangelism, page 179. It says, on a certain occasion, 
When Betterton, the celebrated actor, was dining with Dr. Sheldon, Archbishop of Canterbury, the Archbishop said to him, pray, Mr. Betterton, tell me why it is that you actors affect your audiences so powerfully by speaking of things imaginary. My lord, replied Betterton, with due submission to your grace, permit me to say that the reason is plain. It all lies in the power of enthusiasm. We on the stage speak of things imaginary as if they were real, and you in the pulpit speak of things real as if they were imaginary. And far too many Christians, I mean, it's okay to have questions about something. So if you have questions about the belief system in your church, what are you doing about it? Study it out. And like I said, there are other things that, like the trumpet, we don't have a consensus on, but that get consensus on the things you can. I know that there are people that are that, that get in, and I, I should be careful with this as well, because I know people who have gotten in a situation to give Bible studies, and giving studies to others has actually helped them to grow stronger <laughs> in their own personal conviction. Um, it's easy to grow up in the Seventh-day Adventist church and learn what happens when you die, and learn which day the Sabbath is without ever having really investigated it yourself. It's easy to, possible to do that, and in, in fact, easy to do that in some cases. So the point here is make sure you don't just float along and say, I'm going to give Bible studies without ever. Your faith needs to be a personal faith. You need to have your personal study. You need to have your personal convictions, and that will enhance your Bible studies. I know people that can give Bible studies on subjects they don't believe, and the Lord will still win people with the truth. Because the Bible says we can do nothing against the truth. I'll see your hand again in a minute. When, no, we can do nothing against the truth before the truth. Okay, the Bible's clear on that. But you're going to be more effective if you can share it from, as, a, as a personal conviction of yours. So that's the emphasis there. Bottom quote says this. When God opens the way for the accomplishment of a certain work and gives assurance of success, let me just pause there and ask, has God opened the way for the proclamation of the gospel? Has he given assurance of his success? You know, what are the words of Jesus in the Great Commission? All authority is given me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. I'll be with you always. Is that assurance? That sounds like it to me. If when, God, if when God opens the way and gives assurance, the chosen instrumentality, that's you and me, must do what? All in his power to bring about the promised result in proportion to the enthusiasm and perseverance with which the work is carried forward will be the success given. Now, somebody asked me about that in light of the very first statement we looked at, where we said that, that we need to believe that it's not our sermonizing and our talking, but it's we got to believe that the work is God's work. But that's why I brought up in the Psalms and in that statement, neither of those, neither Evangelism 127 or Psalm 127 verse 1 told us we didn't have any work to do. And that's a problem we run into all the time. We're like, we, we get in this mindset like, well, it's all the Lord. But all the Lord doesn't mean we just sit in an easy chair and don't do anything. When, I, when, when, when the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it, that, that doesn't mean the Lord wants the builder to take a chair and say, okay, I'm going to sit down here, I'm going to put a hammer and a saw, and I'm just going to watch some power. Get That's not what he's talking about. It's saying that we need to do our part but we can't think that our part is what is where the power is. Um, and I could ask you, why do you think it's important that we do our part? I mean, if it's the power is the Lord's, why is it important to do our part? I mean, why doesn't he just have the heavenly angels, right? The Great Commission, hey, angels, go ahead and do this. These knuckleheads aren't going to do a good job at it. You guys, angels, you go and do it. 
Why didn't he do that with the Great Commission? Mary? That's right. He wants us to be a part. And, and, and why is it important for us to be a part? Yeah, there's a great statement in the book, uh, Education, that says this. It says, it is acquaintance that awakens sympathy. And sympathy is a spring of effective ministry. If I'm never acquainted with people, if I don't involve myself with people, it's hard for my heart to go out of people I don't even think about. So God puts us in the place of doing the work because it's not only that we bless others. There's a blessing that comes on us from doing that. So we have a part to play. And what this particular statement is trying to emphasize is, I mean, in proportion to the enthusiasm of perseverance, saints, there is something in your life that you give enthusiasm toward. There's nobody who, I've had Christians say, well, you know, I don't want to get into making it all about me and what I do in my works, but hold on a minute. I, I'm no Christians that are like, I don't want to be about my work, so I don't want to work real hard at it, but let's start talking about golf. And all of a sudden, oh, wow. It could be golf, it could be fishing, it could be whatever, some kind of thing that you're into, but everybody gets enthusiastic about something. Salespeople sell based on enthusiasm. I don't know about you, but I have, I hate to admit it, but I've bought things I didn't ever think of using that I totally didn't need because somebody was enthusiastic about how much I needed it. And so this statement, all it's trying to say is, if there's anything in life to be enthusiastic about, then we should be enthusiastic about spiritual things. And that enthusiasm is, I mean, it's the difference between me, what was it, uh, I think Wes was saying it this morning, where, and I've, you get a person who's selling Christian books or something, and sometimes we try to, we almost talk the people out of it. We go up and we're like, uh, you wouldn't be interested in any of these books, would you? Or as the late Pastor Tony Rosarigaliano used to do it like this. He said, this is how you do it. He says, when you go up, you say, wouldn't you like to have some of these books? And he would nod while he did it. Well, we're just talking about, those are sales things, but the point is, it's, it's the level of enthusiasm. So this statement isn't trying to say that's doing the work. It's just trying to encourage us that if we're going to be enthusiastic about something, put our energies into something, if we put our energies into spiritual things, that has an effect and an influence on other people. It makes it more appealing. Okay, well, when I get into a series of Bible studies, one of the very first things, so let's say somebody said, yes, they want to do Bible studies. And so I, I get together with them for study number one, and I usually in that time, I like to introduce kind of what we're going to do. I have some lessons here, and somebody asked me during the break, there are different ways of doing Bible studies. There's one way is, how many of you have seen the It Is Written lessons, for example, or the story of the Bible study offer lessons that we use? Any kind of printed lesson. Um, a lot of them are fill-in-the-blanks lessons. Do you give them the lesson before the study or during the study or after the study? I'll tell you, all three. Everybody does it a different way. I, I don't know one way that really works better than another. There are pros and cons to every way. I can give you a study and say, hey, go over this, fill this out, and next week when we get together, we'll go through it. I can do that. Or I can wait till we get there, and I can open my Bible, and we go through the study, and then I say, let me leave you with this lesson that we just went through, we walk through it, and then I leave the lesson with them. I can do that. Or I can, during the lesson, say, let's look this up. I've seen people do it all those different ways. They all work. A lot of it has to do with part of how you, it, what works for you. Yes, sir. Yes, but let, let's, let, let me get back to that. So you've got, when I sit down with somebody for a set of lessons the first time, one of the first things I have them do is get 
I call it a study notebook. I may give it to them. I may have them find a notebook, find a piece of paper, find a folder, set, and, and write your questions down. And as we go, because here's the thing, you can't answer all the questions every time you meet. There will people, the people will ask you questions they're not ready for the answer for. I mean, there are things we love to know the answer for. There's a reason God didn't give us the answer to every question we have. Um, Adam and Eve had questions about the tree, and they had a knowledge they wanted, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God did not want them to have the knowledge of evil. There, there's knowledge that God doesn't want us to have at all. There's knowledge that God doesn't want us to have yet. We need to understand that. And so when I'm giving a study, there's certain things that I know if I share that now, there's not enough foundation to really understand it. For example, and you can run into this in a study. People in a Bible study, they'll say, well, yeah, I know we're going to study, but tell me about the mark of the beast. I just want to know about that. Well, I can't give you a study on it, but basically it has to do with Sunday worship, people who worship on Sunday. I've known people who throw that out there. You've given them no Bible. Now, how are they going to take that? Oh, these people are crazy. They, it's a whole different... I've known people that are opposed to the Sabbath from everything they've heard, but they never had a Bible study on it. And when they sit down for the first time and they go through the Bible, it's a whole different ballgame. See, they just thought that they, they heard these crazy Adventist people got this crazy thing about the Sabbath, but they've never seen it in Scripture. And when they see it in Scripture, it's not you talking, it's the Word. So I don't want to go give them some quick answer without a biblical foundation. So what I'll do is I'll say, you know, that's a really good question, and I'm so glad you asked it. But we're gonna, what we're going to do is I've got a study coming up on that. Now, some of the things, you get a whole study coming up, so you get a whole study coming up in the lesson, and uh, we're going to get into that. But at first, we want to look at some other things. Most people are cool with that, but I, I'll ask them. Sometimes I'll say we have a study coming up, and I, and I won't tell them to write it down. There are other questions they ask that I may not have a study on, but I say, why don't you write that down, and then when we have some time, we'll go through some of your questions. But write it down so we don't lose it, but we don't want to get off topic. And so sometimes I'll have them put even the future lesson stuff. Go ahead and write it down. What that tells them is you're not brushing them off. If I'm writing it down, and then I make sure, sometimes if I have a study that doesn't take as long, or I wait, if I know it's a question I can't answer now, but maybe three studies from now, then I'll say, why don't you pull out those questions and let's see what you have. You know, after our formal study or something, or before the formal, and when, they, when that happens, that communicates to them that you're not brushing them off, you are going to get to their questions, and because I want them to know that. But if you just go to answering the questions, you're going to get derailed and you're not going to get to the topics you need, and you might answer something premature. Um, okay, top of uh, page top of page two. This is getting into the much more practical aspect of things. Now, this should seem very um, obvious. Know your material. I, there's a difference between... There's two things you need. You really need to know the subject, but you also need to know the material, and those are two different things. If I were to tell you never to give a Bible study until you knew the subject thoroughly, nobody here would ever give a Bible study, I still would not be giving Bible studies. I do not know. Yeah, I mean, you, there's always more to learn. And in fact, you know what one of the best ways is to learn? Giving Bible studies. I have people, a lot of people like, how do you learn the stuff you know? Giving Bible study. Wait a minute, how's that work? You just, it just, because people will, you, you get asked questions in the setting of a Bible study you never even think about otherwise. In fact, I, was, I had a young couple that uh, we ran one of our manual sessions, and I had this young husband and wife, 
the wife's brother was going through the Emmanuel session. We finished up our session, so you're 14 weeks. They get Bible studies in the community. Well, the, the, the session was over. Brother was going back home. So he handed off the study interest to his sister and her husband. So they begin, or they pick up on the studies, and they're giving these Bible studies. And she used to call me, and we would talk before the Bible study. She said, okay, the study tonight is on this. What do I do? What do we cover? So I'd give some high points and whatever else. Well, I remember the time she called after a study, and she's like, Pastor, I cannot do this anymore. I said, what do you mean? Her name's Mary. I said, Mary, what do you mean? She says, I'm not cut out for this. I'm just not cut out for this. Hold on, hold on. What do you mean you're not cut out for it? She says, they're asking me questions I don't know the answer to. I'm sorry, don't mean to laugh. Like, that was her evidence that this was not for me. It couldn't be for me because I don't know the answer to all the questions. I said, in, in the, the particular study was the study on the law. So I said, Mary, how long have you been a Seventh-day Adventist? I don't know. I think she was about 21, 22 at the time. How long have you been? My whole life. I said, how long have you been sitting in an Adventist church, listening to Adventist sermons, Sabbath school classes, etc.? My whole life. I said, when was it you realized you didn't know the answer to that question? She said, I didn't think about that. Well, I just, I guess in the study, I said, you think maybe the Lord knew that it would take getting you into that study to find out that you didn't know what you don't know. She said, oh, I didn't, didn't think about that. But that's a reality. Don't, don't get a mindset that you have to know everything to give the study. That's not knowing your material. Knowing your material is this. If you're going to give a Bible study, you want to take the lesson that you're going to be presenting, and you want to go through it yourself before the study. That should be very obvious, but it's not obvious. I'll tell you how I know that. We did this with students. Now, I told you in the last, if you weren't here for the last class, in our manual sessions, we would teach how to give a Bible study. Then we'd pair up our students, and we'd give them entire classroom labs, and they would pair up, and one would give a full-on Bible study. They'd, take, they'd have an hour to give a Bible study to their, their partner, and then we'd flip. And then the, us, the, as the instructors, would come around, and we would listen in on the studies and take notes and whatever. And it didn't matter how many times I brought some of this stuff up, we would give the lessons ahead of time, well ahead of time to the students. We would tell them, before you give the study, you need to prepare the lesson. You need to go through it yourself. You need to fill in the blanks yourself. If there's a thought that jumps out at you, highlight it. Familiarize yourself with the points. It may help you to even listen to sermons on the topic and things like that. If you get story illustrations or things you can use in the lesson, you're like, hey, that's a good one. For example, when I did first did Bible work, if you don't know what Bible work is, it's basically... You go door to door or however else you find interests uh, for a particular church and you give Bible studies. I worked for two churches in, in northern Alabama as a Bible worker. And I had some long drives to certain Bible studies. And back in the day, I used to use cassette tapes. Anybody know what a cassette tape is? I used cassette tapes. I actually, I actually had a series of evangelistic sermons by Doug Batchelor on videotape. Anybody know what videotape is? And I played the videotape and I, and through the TV and recorded it on cassette tape because my car had a cassette player. And on my way to the Bible study, for example, on the subject of death, I would listen to, or that week, I would listen to Doug Batchelor. And then he'd give an illustration and say, oh, that's a good illustration. And when I was preparing my lesson, I'd make a little jot down a note on that illustration that he used. You understand what I'm saying? All of that is just... I'm familiarizing myself with the lesson that I'm going to be giving. 
But we always had students who thought they were going to pull one over on the teachers. They weren't going to prepare. They were just going to go in and wing it, and nobody was going to know better. You think we didn't know? Let me tell you something. It didn't take 10 seconds to spot the student who did not prepare the lesson. They're bumbling around. They don't know how to make transition. It's just choppy, sloppy study. And some people just think, well, I've heard it before. And if you're going to give Bible, I mean, I love to say that this, I'm just, uh, I don't need to bring this point up, but I, but I have given these examples. You're sitting here. I've told the class this. And then they turn right around and do the very thing I told them not to do. And then we, you know, we would do in our classes is as we divided them up, we'd go around as instructors, we'd listen, and then we'd conclude the class by getting them all together again and saying, okay, here are the things we observed. We didn't point them out by name. We'd say, there, there, this happened and this happened. Don't do these things. Next time, what happened? Some of them be doing the same old thing again. And I don't want to point it at me. I'd be pointing at me, too. But you understand, it is human nature. So, but this, this is a little, it may seem like a little thing, but it, it, it's a huge, it makes a huge difference in your study being interesting and the Lord being able to connect to the person you're giving the study to, knowing your materials. So you notice the things I've mentioned them here. Prepare, go through the lesson yourself, look up text, fill in the blanks, highlight pertinent points, jot down illustrations and ideas and other notes. You may find them reading here under, number, under letter C, number one. You may find some texts that don't make sense. It could be a misprint. In any case, either substitute a text that does, that does make sense or simply skip over the question. I've had this happen where um, students didn't prepare. This is one of the ways it becomes really obvious is they come to that part of the lesson, they didn't prepare, and so, listen, I'm going to tell you that in every just about every Bible study lesson you can find, they're going to have this question, and then they're going to have a text, and you're going to look at that and say, where in the world does that text fit with that question? It doesn't make any sense at all. I don't see where they got that. If that is in the lesson, you do not want to find that when you just sat down to give the study and then bumble through it. You want to know it ahead of time. And, and I've had people say, well, what happens if you do that? And you have a question, you don't. I'll just tell the person, I'll either do this, I'll substitute another verse. Sometimes I'll say, well, I, that verse doesn't seem to answer it. And it could have been a misprint, maybe not. I'll either find out from somebody who knows, say, have you done this lesson? What do you do? Oh, okay. Or I'll substitute a verse. Or if I can't substitute a verse, I'll skip over it. And they say, what do you do if the person asks you why you're skipping over it? I just tell them. I don't know where the person who put this lesson together was going with that one. But let's go to the question number eight. And it goes fine. But that's all part of preparation, being familiar with the lesson so you don't run into oh, those things while you're studying like, oh, for the first time. Yes. There's a suggested time frame for the study. Um, so it, it, anybody you, just about anybody you ask is going to give you a different answer. When I started in Bible work, uh, I had people tell, you get all kinds of crazy stuff. And I think some of it was very impractical. But I was told that your Bible study should be uh, 30 minutes. And I remember... I don't know if any of you have ever done, I, I'm not sure the landmarks are set, the landmarks of prophecy are similar to the old historicals of prophecy lessons. I don't know if you remember the old historicals of prophecy, about 15, 16, 17 questions in every lesson, three texts for every question. You are not going over 45 texts in 30 minutes, but I tried, because <laughs> that's what I was told what to do. And so what part preparation meant for me, first of all, for me, I shoot for my total study time. And I tell my students, 
an hour and 15 minutes. I socialize up front. I give 15 minutes, up to. I may not take that much time. And then give myself an hour for the study. You're always going to have socializing time. I like to do it in front, and so I leave the spiritual impression when I leave. So I get there, we read, we talk about how the week's going, we pray together, whatever else. Then we transition into the study, and I leave about an hour for that study. Sometimes we go under that. I don't like to go over that. There are exceptions. If I know the study's going to be long, I might split it up, or I'll tell them we're going to go a little bit longer today, just so you know, or this week, and give them a heads up. But I want to stay within a time frame that they can expect and count on, and that has worked as a reasonable time frame for me to get through just about any study. So in the preparation... Those are all things you do when you prepare. And then review, besides going through the lesson, once you've gone through and made all your notes, it's helpful to review it like you're giving the study. Uh, when I work on a sermon, when I work on the presentations I'm doing in the morning, there's draft one, and there's draft second draft, and third draft, and I'm moving things around. And then when I finally get it to where I think it's the message I need it to be, then I go through it. I don't preach, this is me personally, I don't preach it out loud. I just go through it like, okay, I'm preaching this, and as I'm going through the way I would present it, even then I say, well, you know, I I don't need that there. I'll move this. So all of that, once you've prepared, just review. Just go through it. Think through this point, this point, this point. Maybe you give it to somebody in practice. Uh, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of folks that tell me, I just don't know how to give studies. I've not given many. What's to stop you from grabbing some of your friends in church Taking, you know, some of the, pulling some of the nap time out of Sabbath afternoon and saying, hey, let's get together for an hour and let's just practice giving Bible studies to each other. This week I'll do you and you next week you do you. We'll take a couple hours and we'll go back and forth like we did in class. The more you practice it, the more proficient you're going to get at it. Um, and I'm going to tell you, nobody gives perfect Bible studies from day one. Don't knock yourself out because you, you didn't do everything just perfect. But the more you work at it, all of these things will help it to go smoother. And you'll feel better about giving the study if you've reviewed it. There's nothing worse than jumping into situations like, I have no idea where I'm going next. Versus, no, I know that I've practiced this. Not to say that you may not have a little panic attack here or there, but if you've reviewed it, it's going to be a lot easier. And that's that last part is practice. Uh, I'm going to take some time to practice it. Now, I want to move into letter D. Letter D, to me, is one of the most important things here. And in order to illustrate this, I'm going to have some other handouts. I need some helpers here. And I'm going to pass you out one of our Bible doctrine studies just so I can use it as an example for delivery of the study. Thank you. And it should say Bible Docs 101 on the top and then signs of Christ's soon coming. And I want to use that as we get into letter D. Letter D to me is one one of the most important parts of making the study interesting. So I'll let you get that in your hands. You'll see on the back page of, of the first handout, not the one you're getting now, but of the handout, we're going, we'll refer back to that, but the, we're still looking at the, at the how to give a really good Bible study handout. On the back of the page, letter D is engage your study interest. I will go to the handout you're getting now in a minute, but we're still on the Bible study handout. Engage your study interest. Now, when it comes to, well, all right. And again, I'm going to use that as an example when... Again, some of you have given Bible studies, but our Bible study lessons tend to be, and incidentally, this is a cue we've taken out of inspiration, they tend to be a question-answer format. It just, there's, I'll tell you the power of the question-answer format. There are a lot of people who don't think they can understand the Bible. 
And when you ask a question and there's a Bible answer and people get into that mode of going through and they begin seeing the answers in the Bible, and there's a way to do that, I'm going to tell you about it in a minute, people get excited to realize that the Bible is not too complicated for them to understand. Because I'm going to tell you that there are a lot of folks who just think they're never going to be able to understand the Bible, somebody else is going to have to teach it and tell them. And part of your role in giving Bible studies is not just becoming their guru, but teaching them how to study the Bible. Now, a lot of your success depends on how you do it. I want to take the lesson that I just gave you, and I'm going to give you three examples of how you could give the study, and I'm going to do them, in, in, in incidentally, examples of the way I've seen people give studies. And then um, I want you to note the difference. So let's see, where do I want to start? I want to start, let, let's go to number four. I'll just pick up like we're in the middle of the study. So let's go to number four in our study. The question is, what did Jesus call believers who didn't consider it important to know the signs? We're going to Matthew 16, verse 1. Verses 1 through 3, actually. Matthew 16, 1 through 3. Now, just pretend we are sitting together in a living room or at a table or something, and I'm giving the study, and I just, I've asked you this. I'd say, what's the question? You know, here's the question. Let's look at this. What did Jesus call believers who, don't, who didn't consider it important to know the signs? Matthew 16, 1 through 3. This is what the Bible says. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked what he would show them, asked, sorry, that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So the question is, what did Jesus call believers who didn't consider it important to know the signs? He called them hypocrites. You see that? Now we're going to question number five. Question number five says, what are some of the signs Jesus told us to watch for? Matthew 24, 4 through 7. Matthew 24, 4 through 7. Matthew 24, 4 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. So what are the signs? Jesus said there'd be false Christs and false prophets, there'd be wars and rumors of wars. Okay, so what is happening so far in our study? I'll tell you what's happening. You are totally losing interest very quickly <laughs> in most cases because I am monologuing. I'm doing all the talking. I'm doing it a little, if, if I were trying to simulate it, I'm going a little faster than I might because I'm looking at our time, but I have witnessed this on far more than one occasion in people giving studies. And I've told students not to do it, but they're in there, and then they do all the talking, they tell the text, they look up the text, they tell what it means, and they move on. And I say, hey, so we're doing the guardian angel thing, like I told you, we come in and we sit down and we study and we're listening. And so maybe Rick, you're giving us some study. So how do you get them involved a little bit more? 
ask, and then have them read the text. And you're like, oh, students will say, yeah, I got it. No, 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 I remember. I remember, right? Because I'm bringing it back to mind because we talked about it in class. I remember. So we do it again. Now here's model number two. We're going to start again in number four. Okay, so what did Jesus call believers who didn't consider it important to know the signs? Matthew 16, verses 1 through 3. Paula, could you read that for us? Matthew 16, 1 through 3. Okay, thank you. So the question was, what did Jesus call believers who didn't consider it important to know the signs? He called them hypocrites. You see that? Now let's go to number five. It's hard for me to do this. I mean, I, I hope that looked bad to you. It was a little better than before because I let Paula read. What else did I let Paula do? I did nothing. I told the answer and everything else, but I feel real good about myself because this time she read. Okay? Um, and again, I'm doing this a little bit more quickly, but I've, I've watched it, so I'll do like I told Rick. Oh, I got it. I got it. And then they'll give the site, and then the person reads, and then they plow right on through again. They give all the answers, and the person is just bewildered. And it's, you know, then they'll ask those questions like, Do you see that? And then they move on, and the person's like, Their head's spinning. They haven't answered. They didn't say, Yeah, I see it. They didn't even have a chance. Boom, 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 boom. The person's on with the Bible study, okay? So example number two is a little better than example number one, but I'm going to tell you there's a whole lot of example one and two that happens when I've seen people give Bible studies. What I, when I, in the handout, talk about engaging the student, what I'm talking about is you want to make sure, number one, they're involved in the study. Number two, they are answering the question, not you. This is very difficult. Because there are, now if I ask Paula, she's going to get the answer, but I'm going to tell you it's not uncommon to be given a Bible study. And you ask the question, and then they go, and then you want for everything that's in you to just say, well, it's hypocrites, it's right there, and you give them the answer. But then what you've done, let me tell you what's happened. If you get in the habit of doing that, you ask the question, they can't answer, you answer the question, what's going to happen? And you notice it happens very quickly in the study. You know, after you've done a few studies together, every time you ask a question, you'll be like, could you read the text? And then they'll read the verse. And when they're done reading the verse, they're going to go like this. And what are they doing? They're waiting for their religious guru to give them the answer. So what you're teaching them is that you know the Bible. You're not teaching them how to know the Bible. That is not the purpose of Bible study. The purpose of Bible study is to help them see that the answer is in the text, and that they can get it. But it could be very painful for you to try to start to educate them in that direction because you're wanting to shout that answer out. So I could go to... So the way I would more do it is, let's do this again. I'm going to have you read again, Paula, but we'll be in the study. I'd say, and, and I'm going to dialogue a little bit, so I won't just ask the question. There are other things I might ask, and so I'll try to model what I would do. And it would be, it'd be different. I don't script my studies. It would be different in every study, but I'm going to dialogue a little bit about it. So question number four in the study, why did Jesus, what did Jesus call believers who didn't consider it important to know the signs? Paula, could you read Matthew 16, 1 through 3 for us? Okay, so the question was, what did Jesus call believers who didn't consider it important to know the signs? Okay, well, well now, 
It's interesting you say that. You notice what he says here. If in if the evening he says, uh, if in the evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather. Have you ever heard a saying like that in our culture? How's it go? Do you remember? Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Right, red sky at night, sailor's delight. So, and they're talking about seeing. And Jesus is saying, you know, you guys know how to look at the weather, like you said, weathermen. But then he says something right after that. He called them hypocrites. You've heard that word before. You know what a hypocrite is? Somebody who, right, somebody who's, they say one thing and they do another. The, the actual word that's translated from the Greek means actor. Like if we saw a Hollywood actor today, we'd call him a hypocrite in the Greek, a hypocrites. They're an actor. They say one thing and they do another. So what does Jesus call people who call themselves believers but don't think it's important to know the signs of the time? They're hypocrites. Is that a good thing, do you think? <laughs> right. So do you, does, do you think, so do you gather from that that it's important to Jesus that we know the signs of the times? Absolutely. Even though we can't, and part of the study has already talked about, we can't know exactly when he's going to come, but we can know the nearness from the signs of the times. So we're just building on that. But that's what I'll do in a study is I'll dialogue. And if she doesn't get the answer at first, she's like, weatherman, I don't want to be like, oh, that's a terrible answer. Right? You don't want to, you want to, okay, and walk them. And then you may have to, you may find yourself walking a person into the answer, but don't give it. Everything in it, you just want to just, hypocrites, don't you see it? It's right there. But you want to walk them in and get them to say it. And then affirm that and, and make sure that they understand it. So, you know, she, she could say, hypocrites? You know, if, they, if a person says something with that big question mark at the end, you say, right, you know what a hypocrite is, and make sure that they get what the point is before you move on. Now, every question in the study, it was asked, how much time do you spend for each question? Well, it's different. You don't, want to, you don't have time to spend like 15 minutes on every question. What's going to happen in any Bible study is a Bible study will ask several questions to establish a point. Like you might have, like this study has 13, and I don't, don't have as much time to go over. We're actually working on um, revising. I'm working on revising my lessons, and something I found helpful is all of your lessons are working to establish some key points. So there are 13 questions here, but there are not 13 points I'm trying to make. There are three that I determined that this particular study is trying to make. And these are the three. Number one, Jesus gave signs to indicate the nearness of his coming. In other words, these are, this is what I'm trying, I'm going to give all this lesson, but this is what I'm trying to get across. Number one, Jesus gave signs to indicate the nearness of his coming. Number two, the signs foretold are rapidly coming to pass. They're not fulfilled yet, and we'll look at that. I want to look at that in a minute. And then number three, they're fulfilling. There's a reason I say that. And number three, in view of this, it's important that we get ready and stay ready. That's the gist of a signs of the coming lesson that Jesus gave signs. Let's look at some of them. Wow, they're happening around us. We see them fulfilling. That brings conviction that his coming is at hand. What should I do? Well, we want to be ready when he comes. So that's the general gist of it. Now I'm saying that to say there may be a lot of questions, but I'm not establishing 13 points. I'm establishing three points. So I might have questions one, two, three, and four in the study, and then at the end that are all establishing that point. So I might go through those four questions and once I get to question number four, I may take a little extra time to say, now look at what we've looked at so far. 
Jesus said, for example, in this particular study, and we haven't gone through it, I understand, but Matthew 24, 3, um, Jesus' disciples wanted to know about the signs of his coming. Question 2 asked, does the Bible tell exactly when Jesus is coming again? And Matthew 24, 36 says, nobody knows the day or the hour. And so question 3 asked, is it possible to know when the end is year, near? And Luke says, yes, when we see these signs, we'll know. Okay, so what we're establishing is the disciples wanted to know when Jesus was coming. But the Bible says nobody knows exactly when. Does that mean we can't know anything about it? No, the Bible says we can know when it's near. And then um, what does Jesus call those who aren't interested in knowing the signs? He calls them hypocrites. So Jesus gave signs while we can't know. So I may take some time to say, no, what we've looked at so far says um, while we can't know exactly when the coming of Jesus is, that shouldn't stop us from studying to understand the, the signs of his coming. It's important to Jesus that we know the signs of his coming so we're ready for that. So I may take, you know, go through a few and take extra time, but you're not going to do that. You're not going to have time to do that in a Bible study with every single question that you ask. You follow what I'm saying there? Um, one other thing I'm going to look at here just for illustration is, let's go to number six in this particular study. We, we looked at this already. It talks about the signs, the... the, the, the Wars and famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Question number six says, what did Jesus say these events could be compared to? Matthew 24, 8. Not a long verse. All the, what did Jesus say these events, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilences, earthquakes, what did he say they could be compared to? And if I read that and ask you, what did he say they could be compared to? The beginning of sorrows. Now, does anybody here know what sorrows are? If you have a different translation, you do. Besides the New King James. Okay, it's, it's not death. And that's where people get tripped up. You know what the word sorrows means here? If you're using the NIV, to have the NIV here? ESV? Birth pains. Sorrows is not a word we use anymore for birth pains, but it's the old English word for birth pains. Now this you would learn if you were preparing because the note underneath it highlights it a little bit and the study, but I, this is where we would have students who wouldn't study ahead of time and they get in and they'd be given the study and I'm sitting in and listening and they're like, what does Jesus compare it to? Sorrows. And he's like, that's right because, you know, it's going to be a really sad time. That's not what he's saying. And if that's what you get, you miss the point of the verse, you, you, this is a huge verse in talking about the coming of Jesus. Because you may have Seventh-day Adventists, you may have studied with people and say, look at the signs, and they're like, oh, we've always had earthquakes. We've always had this stuff. What do you guys, you guys Adventists make a big deal about it? There's always been earthquakes and tornadoes. There's always been famines. There's always been, and it's true. I mean, not always, always, obviously, from Eden, whatever, but. So Jesus, why would he compare this to labor pain? What do we know about labor pains, guys? <laughs> oh, the funniest sermon I ever heard was a young man. I'm not going to mention his name and embarrass him, but it was his first evangelistic, evangelistic sermon, and he was trying to give this illustration. In fact, he was using my sermon notes from time. He was trying to use this illustration. And he goes into labor pains, and he tried to describe labor pains you got this, I, like, well, I don't know, he must have been 21, 22 at the time, but just ha obviously, and I don't know where he had the contractions like 20 minutes apart, or, and, and, he was, and, and then the people started laughing at him, and he was like, well, I don't know, I don't know what labor pains are like. Anyway, 
But labor pains, the, when, when we're dealing with talking about labor pains, do, do, they, do labor pains have the same consistency all the way through? What happens? How do they work? Do they come on? They start slow, and then what? They increase. They increase in frequency. They get closer together and intensity. Now think about that in the words of Jesus. He's not saying that earthquakes are a sign. He's not saying famines and pestilence. He's saying that when you start to see these things increase in frequency and intensity, does that make a difference? Sure it does. If you didn't study, if you, don't, if you, don't, if you lose that point, you're not going to be able to make as much of a point in the Bible study. So that's just another example of, um, number one, preparing your lesson, and then when you're going through, if a person doesn't understand that, being able to explain that in the lesson. They might even read the answer. They might say, I could ask the question, Andrea, and she says, yeah, it's sorrows. Do you know what that means? Well, I guess it sounds like, I mean, I would be pretty sad if, and then I want to guide her. In, well, yeah, it would be pretty, pretty sad, but here's one thing that maybe you didn't realize, that that word sorrows has to do with uh, labor pains. And in the newer translations, and, and maybe you wouldn't know it at the time. I'm not There are going to be times you give a Bible study, then later on you learn something. But in, in other translations, like I said, the NIV, and I, haven't, I, don't, I have them all memorized, it just says birth pains. I mean, if you studied the original language, you'd see that. But anyway, um, preparation for the lesson and then engaging the student in a lesson. Everything else we've talked about, of everything else we've talked about, that is one of the most important things. And then the, uh, the next thing I want to touch on as we close is the last, the last thing is, to me, the most important aspect, the reason that I think more people get discouraged out of giving Bible studies and why things don't take off at the Bible studies. You're engaging in a study and everything else. You will notice if you've given Bible studies that some people are much more easily engageable than others. Some of you have given studies. I can't tell you. How, let me tell you something. It's a confession, not from me, but from the standpoint of us as pastors, that I know that there are pastors who, when they get good study interests, they want to make sure they keep those study interests. Probably not from a totally selfish idea, but they want to make sure that that, here's a person I know is going to make decisions and whatever, but what tends to happen is there are members who may say, hey, I'd be interested in doing Bible studies, and the pastor doesn't want to mess up the good interest, and so he gives them the people that are not good interests. And so the church members are going out for the first time, and the person they're trying to study with is not really interested. And especially being a new church member, you don't understand the difference between the two, and you just think that you're not a good Bible studier. They don't ever seem to be, they're not, as somebody mentioned during the break, they're not filling out the lessons. Every time you come back, the dog ate it, the kids lost it. Uh, no, I just didn't get around to it. And you start to see that it's certainly not a priority of theirs. But you don't want to not go to the study because you feel like that's just kind of basically cutting them off and they're going to be lost for eternity and you wear the carry that. But the reality is that when you're going out and following up on study interest, you're going to filter through a lot of people that just plain aren't interested. They're just not. And I remember a pastor friend of mine talking with a couple of Mormon missionaries in an airport. And part of their part of their church requirement is you go out for two years in missionary service, and you probably had Mormons come by, and they go out on their bikes and whatever, and they give them Bible studies and knocking on doors. And he asked them, "How many doors do you guys have to knock on before you find a good study?" And without skipping a beat, they do this in and out. A hundred. 
Just, I mean, it wasn't like, well, let me see. No, 100 out. How many before you find somebody that actually decides they want to become a part of your church? A thousand. Now, I like to say, you know, that's with something that is not Bible truth. We have Bible truth. I think we have an advantage. We can do better than that. But my point is, you're going to run through a lot of people that are not interested. Now, that doesn't mean they'll never be interested. You're not consigning them to eternal damnation because, you, because they weren't interested and you admitted that. It's almost like we feel like if I admit that they're not interested, I'm almost consigning them to the flames of hell. No, you're not consigning them anywhere. You're just saying they're not responding right now. This is not a priority of theirs. So how do you know that? What a lot of people will do in a set of Bible studies is they'll go through an entire set. Now at the end of the Bible studies, even at the end of my lesson here, at the end of Bible studies, there are these little appeal questions. The Lord Jesus is coming. Do you want to be ready? Yes or no? Yes, I do. And there's your little appeal question at the end of the study. I would not, that's not the appeal. That's a piece of an appeal. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in a minute. But some people wait until they go through the entire set of lessons, 24 lessons, 25 lessons, 30 lessons, whatever. And then at the end, they're like, okay, well, would you like to join the church? And they're shocked when the person just, no, they didn't want to join the church. We did all these lessons, they didn't want to join the church. I'm going to tell you why. Because conviction comes and goes in waves, and, it, and, and, and when conviction hits and a person doesn't respond to it, it gets less and less and less. And people are all convicted about different things. Some of the people you studied with got convicted when you talked about health, another person when you talked about death, another person when you talked about Sabbath, and it's all different. And so when that study, for example, on death came, and it was a little different, and they knew it was a little different, but so far the studies have been good, and so they had some questions. But your appeal at the end, it really didn't pin them down. It didn't clarify where they stood or what their questions were. You're just like, so do, do you, do you want to be ready uh, in the resurrection? You know, at the end of the death study. And like, yes. Okay, move on to the next study. So they've got questions. You don't really realize what their questions are. Now the next study, in most cases, is a study on hell. Another very different study from everything else they've heard in Christianity. So now what's happening is you're starting to pile up these different doctrines and they're starting to have more questions and you don't even have a clue about it because in many cases you're not asking them specifically at the end of each study what they understand about the study and what they're going to do with the study. And so you keep on coming down. Now you're at the end of the entire lesson set. Only by now they've determined that your faith is so different they're not ever going to join your church. And all that's happened, and you've been oblivious to it, because you were waiting to get to the end to ask the big questions. You, when you're giving a set of lessons, you want to ask at the end of every study, some of them are going to be more invasive than others. You start out, you're going over Daniel 2, you're really, your Daniel 2 lesson is trying to establish the, 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 the validity of Scripture, and your, your, your appeal might be something as simple as, you want to continue to study the Bible and understand it better may not be anything invasive, but when you're getting into those topics like death, you want to be able to ask questions. Do you understand from our study that the Bible teaches that when a person dies, they rest in the grave until the resurrection? You want to ask questions like that. And you know what they might do? They might say, no, it's not clear to me. And we fear that, and so we don't ask the question, but you're not helping yourself out by not asking the question. They, they, people have honest questions. And so there are those questions of, do you understand this? And then there are the application questions. You study the Sabbath with somebody. I've had people do it. Well, we said, in fact, we just did a training at a church recently, and they said, well, 
I don't know what to do in this study. I've gone through all these lessons. They know about the Sabbath. They know about it. I've asked them about it. And I said, how did you ask them about it? Well, I asked them if they, you know, believed in the Sabbath. I said, no, 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 no. I said, what did you ask them? And this was, uh, as we went over this, what, what, what they didn't ask was very specifically, first of all, do you understand that the Bible teaches that the Sabbath is from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday? That it's a part of the Ten Commandments that God still expects us to honor him on the Sabbath day. I mean, you're, not, you're just asking if they understand the, what the lesson taught. And then, what are you going to do about keeping the Sabbath? And I asked this particular person, who said, no, no, I've asked him about it. I said, did you ask them that? Well, no, I didn't ask him. Why not? Why do you think a person, you wouldn't ask that question? No. No, and that's the point. I, I need to know if a person tells me, no, I'm just not, I'm not clear. Well, I might give them resources. I'll tell them the next time for the study. We'll go over this and we'll answer your questions. But what happens is we don't ask. We don't know they have questions. Then we move on. And then the questions pile up from all the different subjects. And, but I want to clear that up. In, in most cases, if a person is not clear, and then we go over it and they're just like, I don't agree with that. In most cases, why am I going to keep plowing through? Now, I might, I might give them time and say, okay, well, I know you have some questions. Let's look at a couple other studies, okay? But I'm not going to go through the whole rest of the set of lessons because what happens is once a person, this, you'll find this very interesting, especially with the Sabbath. Once a person yields on the Sabbath, you'll find that they become very open to almost any Bible truth. But if they're maintained, if they're holding out on that, they begin to be closed off to everything. And uh, I'm not saying it always works that way. Again, I can't give you a, it's not a, everything is not, there are variations. But what I'm saying is, I'll answer that in a minute. I'll close with that. But if I'm in a study situation, I want to make, at the end of every study, I want to ask very clearly whether or not they understand the study, and then I want to ask them what they're going to do with what they learn. If a person is, yeah, oh no, they understand the Sabbath, but they're not, invite them to church. Say, hey, would you like to come? You can, instead of saying, what are you going to do with it? You could ask it in this way. Would you like to come to church with me this next Sabbath? Now, if they're like, nah, I'm not sure about that, and, and that goes on for a couple weeks or whatever, there's something there. Like, if they're telling you, yes, I understand it, but no, I'm not doing anything about it, they're not understanding it, or they're not committing to it. And when that's happening, you're not getting anywhere in your study. And, and I'm not saying this is a disinterested person. This is an interested person, but they've come to that impasse. And some of you maybe heard me say this before, that Christianity, there are, everybody follows a part of the Bible. But your Christianity begins when your will confronts Christ's will and you have to yield it. That's when you become a Christian, a follower of Christ. And so there are people that go along. In every study, it may be the Sabbath, it may be health, it may be something else, but the Spirit of God is going to come and they're going to meet one of their idols and they're going to have to yield to it. And you're to help them through that in the study. And a lot of people don't. They don't ask that question. This particular person that I was talking to, this was a pastor's wife. She knows what to ask, but she didn't ask the question. Why do you think she didn't? Because if, I'm gonna, if I've made friends with this person, and now if I start pushing in this area, and they don't want to follow, it's going to jeopardize my friendship. So let me make something clear. 
If you're not willing to lose a friend for Christ, you're never going to gain a friend for Christ. I wish I could say it different than that, but you've got, you're never going to gain the decision you're not willing to lose. And I'm not saying you have to lose it. And I, I would, you know, I'm, you don't want to hammer at people, but you have to ask them those questions and you have to appeal to them to act on the truth that they're learning. And you can share from your own experience. Say, I remember when I was where you are and learning these things. But listen, it's going to be a, such a blessing to you. I know that there are things you're afraid of. And they may have questions. You have to walk them through things. And there's more that could be said on that. It's not going to be said now. But this is, the, this is what, what I'm talking about is this last part when it says apply the truth to the heart, not the head. And a lot of times we think, oh, that's you apply the truth to the heart. You're just getting some emotional. No, applying the truth to the heart is when it goes into action. That's what we're talking about. Applying the truth to the heart is not letting it stay a theory, but saying, you know, Jesus is calling you to honor him on the Sabbath day. Would you like to start doing that? You can come to church with me this next Sabbath. Um, and you're going to have people that say yes, and you're going to have people that say no. And listen, folks, you're going to have people that say no today, but the Lord's working on them, and they may say yes a year from now. You don't have to cut off your friendship and everything else. But the question was asked, so let me finish up with this, because I know we're over time. The question was asked, and I want to cover two phases here. You're going to find yourself sometimes in studies with people if your study interest is not filling out the lesson on a regular basis, if, you know, if you're giving it ahead of time, if they're skipping or canceling the studies on a regular basis, it is not a priority. Folks, you should know as well as anybody, we make time for what we want to make time for. I hear people, oh, I don't have time for that. Hey, guess what? There's this over Oh, okay, I'm going to go. We make time for what we want to make time for. It's true for everybody. If you have a person who, I'm not saying once or twice, but on a regular basis, they're either not, you know, there are people who want you to come study because they like companionship. And that's fine. And I'm not saying cut off all ties, but I've been in situations where I find that there's somebody who's not really interested in the study. And what I may say is, listen, I've noticed you're not filling the lessons out. Um, are you not wanting to do the studies anymore? Oh, no, I want to do them. They may tell you that even if they don't. Well, do you, maybe you don't have enough time for it. Yeah, it's just hard for me to get around to. Well, let me do this. Why don't I? Why don't we take a little break? I'll get. I'll, I'll wait a few weeks, give you time to catch up on the lessons, and then I'll stop back and check back with you. What that's done for me is it's freed me up now. I've not cut ties with that person. It has freed me up to now go and pursue other studies that might be interested, and I have a connection with that person. But I'm going to tell you right now, if they're not making decisions, you've not lost anything by waiting a month. I've got people I've studied with. I haven't seen, you know, we've done that situation. Then it's gone. Or I haven't seen them for a year. I show up and it's like yesterday, you know. Oh, there's a... It's different when a person's not making decisions. You're not going to lose anything. If a person's in the valley of decision, it's a whole different ballgame. I'm, I'm getting into decisions right now. So you're going to find situations where you're, the person's not responding. And, and you're going to feel guilty. You're going to be like, well, I can't, you know, if I do that to them, but I'm going to tell you right now and listen to my words, if you stick in that situation where the person is not responding in the study, it's going to inevitably discourage you out of doing studies. That's what's going to happen, and the devil's working on that. So help yourself and them and put a little space and say, I'll give you some more time, and then go to try to find, because they're out there. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. You, if you find if all your study interests that you've run on are not interested, maybe... God forbid it, maybe the pastor gave you the duds or whatever else. And when I say duds, I don't mean they're not souls that can be won to the kingdom, but they're not interested now. God may bring events about in their life that will bring them, in, you know, bring interest 
in the meantime, go and try to find other interests. When you're studying with those interests that come to that impasse and they're not making decisions, um, each situation is unique, but you might, in the same way, come to a point. I don't want to, if they're not making a decision on the truth they know, I don't want to pile up a whole bunch of truth, more truth. It just becomes a hurdle to them. So if I'm studying with somebody and they're just like, no, I just, the Sabbath, I have questions, then I might give them some resources. And, 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 and very similarly, I'll stop back, I'll check in on you, give you some time to check it out, and maybe I'll connect with them on social levels, but I'm not going to keep studying at that point. Uh, it just, it, in most cases, there are exceptions to every rule, but in most cases it tends to be counterproductive because it, it, everything, when you're in that mindset, in the set, oh, there's a Sabbath and I've got to do this, then every other thing you present starts to become a thing they have to do and it becomes overwhelming and it's just counterproductive. So, um, if I, they're not, generally with me, they're not going to want to continue studying. If I, if we get to that, I'm not going to be like, okay, smiles and roses and we're going to keep on going if you're not. I have, I mean, when I, when we come to the Sabbath, I like to give people a little bit of time. The Sabbath blows people away. Okay, so it's not that day we did the study. But if, if within a few studies and they're just still, I start to see they're digging their heels and they're not going anywhere, I'm not going to keep studying. Even though, like, I want to keep studying, I'd say, I understand you want to keep studying, but you need to come to terms with this. This is an important thing. You know, and we may talk a little bit more this week about what more specifically to say on that. Um, so I'll take your question, then we're going to wrap up for today. But we have more time this week, and I hope that these principles, um, I, again, I wish there was one answer I could give you, but every case is different and unique. What isn't unique is when you share the truth, you also need to appeal to the people to follow the truth. And you need to be plain with what you're asking them to do. That makes a difference. That's great. Father in heaven, we are so thankful again for the privilege that we have of knowing you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Lord, we want others to know him too. Father, we pray that you would use our talents, um, whether they be five or two or one or half, and you would multiply them to the salvation of souls. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. Bless us through the remainder of this day, as well as all the speakers and presentations that are yet to take place. And may your spirit be poured out upon each one. We ask in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.